This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's Tuesday, February 13th. She brought her son to church along with an AR-15. We start here. Police are investigating the shooting at Joel Osteen's mega church in Texas. Was she using him as a shield? Was he still holding onto her hand? I, I, don't, I don't know right now. The shooter had already had guns confiscated, so how did she acquire more of them? In the middle of a series of airstrikes, Israel rescues two hostages. And the soldier said, are you okay? How are you feeling? And they said, we're in shock. But could it lead to even more deadly scenes in Gaza? They thought they'd voted a Jewish volleyball player in the Congress, so who are they voting for this time? I'm going to run on the things that I've accomplished for the people of my district in the past. Why the election to replace George Santos is getting so competitive. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. If there was an evangelical equivalent of a cathedral here in the U.S., it would be Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. This is one of the largest megachurches in the country. About 45,000 worshipers go there each week. Far more watch its pastor, Joel Osteen, on television. It's great to be with you today, and I hope you'll stay connected with us during the week through our daily podcast, our YouTube channel. One in four Americans consider themselves an evangelical Christian. And so on Sunday, at the biggest church practicing our country's most popular faith, a distinctly American sense of shock set in as a shooter opened fire. The moment of chaos inside the church. I feel scared. I was so scared about that. She had a long gun and it could have been a lot worse. On Sunday, this was all very chaotic. Very little was known about what had actually happened. Well, here's what we've learned since. At 2 in the afternoon on Sundays, Lakewood hosts a service in Spanish. Just before that began, someone went in wearing a trench coat, a backpack, carrying two rifles, one of which was an AR-15. Once inside, police say, shots rang out. Now, uniformed police weren't immediately on scene, but there were off-duty officers on hand who did have weapons and fired back. Twelve minutes after that chaos began, the shooter was pronounced dead. They were a wall that existed between worshippers and terror. The shooter was the only person killed in all this, but there were also two gunshot victims, a parishioner who has now been released from the hospital and a seven-year-old boy who was shot in the head, still in critical condition. This apparently was the shooter's own son who had been brought to Lakewood on that day, along with the guns. Let's bring in ABC's Maria Villarreal, who is there in Houston right now. Maria, first off, there have been so many details over the last 24 hours. What do we know about the shooter? Yeah, so obviously this is continuing to develop, right, as investigators continue to go down all sorts of different paths. One thing we have been able to confirm is the name of the shooter. Uh, She goes by Genese Moreno. 36 years old, Hispanic female. She had several aliases that she's used over the last 20 years or so. And one of the aliases was a man's name, Jeffrey. She has utilized both male and female names, but... Through all of our investigation to this point, talking with individuals, interviews, documents, 
Houston Police Department reports she has been identified this entire time as female. She had even uh, court documents talking about her being married and then also her being divorced. Um, some of the more recent criminal records they have, again, go by Genese Moreno. Um, so that is also something that they decided to go with, which is using the pronouns of she and her. Please be mindful. We are approximately 24 hours into this investigation. It's very fluid. So what we were able to get from the press conference also added to some of the reporting we had been doing during the day. Um, and it talked about basically Moreno coming to the church, parking on the west side. Uh, she got out of the car, pulled her son from the back seat as well as a backpack and had some sort of interaction with a security guard. She displayed or possibly pointed a weapon. Uh, at, at that security officer and, and uh, kind of forced her way, her way in. She was able to get past that security guard, walk into a west side entrance of the church, and engaged with two officers in a shootout, basically, in that hallway. Officer Moreno of the Houston Police Department, working an approved extra job at the location, as well as TABC agent Herrera, returned fire. Not more than about 10 minutes after she walked in, she was dead, and then the young boy was also shot in the head, and he is now in critical condition. Was it the police officers who shot, or was it her? We don't know, and I think the worst thing that we can do is speculate. You know, the chief did talk about them needing to investigate more and that there was a possibility that he was shot while in the process of them trying to take down the shooter that had caused all of this. Or like um, conceivably shot by police. Yeah, I mean, he, he did nod to the fact that that was a possibility. Was she using him as a shield? Was he still holding onto her hand? I, I, Anything don't, would... I don't know right now. Again, once we have a chance to view uh, that video and, and, and y'all know whatever we have to, to show, we'll show it. But we just don't know right now. We've heard from hospital sources that he is not doing very well. But again, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Do we know about potential motive here, Maria? I mean, does it have anything to do with Lakewood, the church, does it have anything to do with, you know, other beliefs that the shooter might have had? What what brought this on? So as of right now, law enforcement was very timid in trying to go down the motive route. We do have some facts that she was uh, put under an emergency detention order by Houston police officers, uh, we believe in 2016. One thing they did say, however, was there was some sort of mental health issue here with her that she'd been experiencing. Uh, we do believe that she does have a mental health history that is documented through us and through interviews with family members. They did say the AR-15 that she was using did have the word Palestine written on a part of the weapon. Hmm. Um, and there was some sort of conflict between her ex-husband's family and her. And some of those individuals are of uh, are Jewish. So we believe that that is, might, might possibly be where all of this stems from. But they didn't so far as to call it motivation. Um, they did also say, however, that on her persons, they did find anti-Semitic writings. But again, they were very cautious in how much of that information they wanted to put out because, again, it, very early on in the investigation. And they did say they did not believe that Lakewood or, or, or Joel Olstein was a target per se um, in what happened on Sunday. And what do we know about her weapons? Because, I mean, if there were questions about the shooter's mental health and if questions had even apparently been raised about whether she should have a gun, then how 
How does she get the guns? Where are they from? You know, Moreno does have a criminal history and there are several different charges on there. But the one that really piqued our interest was her latest arrest out of uh, Fort Bend County, uh, which is just outside of Houston. She was arrested by the Katy Police Department. Uh, It was a traffic stop, actually. And during the traffic stop, officers found weapons. They said she was unlawfully carrying those weapons. So they seized them from her and then they charged her with it, arrested and charged her. She spent two days in jail and she was ordered to pay court fees. Um, and the weapons that she had on her those that day were, um, were destroyed. Uh, but what was really interesting, I had the conversation with the district attorney's office in Fort Bend and I asked them about her case and about her They said not a lot stood out because it's a pretty simple and small charge. However, in February of 2023, the FBI contacted the Fort Bend District Attorney's Office. Hmm. It turned out that Moreno was trying to buy new weapons and they were running a background check on her. And this popped up because it was a weapons charge. It popped up. And so they ran the check on her. Obviously, the district attorney's office cooperated with them. And yet somehow here we are talking about two weapons that were in her possession, you know, an AR-15 and then a 22 caliber rifle. So we asked the chief about that. How was she able to get a hold of these weapons? That's part of the investigation. He basically acknowledged the fact that they knew that not only did she have this weapons charge out of Fort Bend, but they also knew that the FBI had inquired about it. We need to make sure everything is tight and we're not people standing up here Uh, against second right amendments, but uh, people who are suffering from mental illness. uh, Criminals. criminals, Mental health um, and the criminal record. Yes. Um, So we're we're looking at at that. And they didn't know what the disconnect was between that background check and how she ended up with two weapons. Um, The latest weapon she picked up in December, just two months ago. So right now, that is part of their investigation. Where was the disconnect? Was there no communication or miscommunication here? And how can they prevent this in the future? Wow, just a a shocking, sad scene here at such a prominent place. Uh, Maria Villarreal, based in Texas, they're in Houston right now. Thank you. Thanks again. Next up on Start Here, there are still dozens of hostages left in Gaza, but now there are two less. How a daring raid could reverberate through Rafah after the break. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor, you know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. 
This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more, or I'd read a book, or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. One of the things that has made the conflict in Gaza so frightening is that when one side accuses the other of something, there are times that they're absolutely right. And those complaints, in turn, fuel new battles. They are bombing everywhere. Tomorrow, they may say, go to another place. Every day we are moving. Gaza residents had said they were afraid Israel was packing them into one area in the south, an area known as Rafah, and that once they were all cornered, Big airstrikes would come, causing death and destruction. Well, guess what? That's exactly what happened as Sunday turned into Monday. There were massive airstrikes in the south. Uh, the Palestinian Hamas health authorities say more than uh, 60 Palestinians were killed. And Israelis have said, listen, our operations are all about finding Hamas operatives, but we're forced to go into civilian areas because Hamas intentionally tries to blend in. They hide their hostages in these areas. They migrated down to Rafah with everyone else, which puts everyone else around them at risk. Well, on the night of these strikes, Israeli defense forces pulled off a daring raid and rescued two hostages in Rafah. They were right. Hamas had, in fact, brought hostages there. And now everyone is wondering what this means for next steps. ABC's Jordana Miller is based in Jerusalem. Jordana, first, can you just explain this hostage rescue? Because IDF says the missile strikes were all connected to this, and it sounds dramatic. It was dramatic. It was wildly successful. And none of the commandos were hurt. None of the hostages were hurt. And it basically started just before 2 a.m. local time. Several teams of Israeli forces and special forces and Navy SEALs surrounded a residential building in the heart of Rafah. They blew open the door, went up to the second floor based on intel that they had. They raided that apartment. They killed the three Hamas guards that were there with the hostages. And there were two elderly Israeli hostages there, one 60 years old, one 70 years old. They quickly put vests on them and they repelled the hostages off the second floor balcony down to a very narrow alleyway. And from there proceeded under uh, the cover of heavy airstrikes and fire, because at that point, Hamas understood something big was happening. And they uh, were whisked off to a helicopter. We're told it was only about 20 minutes from entering the building to bringing the hostages to this helicopter that whisked them out of Rafah. Wow. Uh, we presume towards northern Gaza. And from there, just a little bit over an hour later, they had already landed in Israel 
of the Sheba Medical Center. It was uh, very emotional to see them, to hug them, to feel them. Uh, it feels almost unreal. The Israelis recently just released footage um, of some of those dramatic moments when the hostages first entered the helicopter. And the soldiers are, you know, said, are you okay? How are you feeling? And they said, we're in shock. And they said, do you want you put on clothes? Can we give you blankets? And they said, no, 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 we're, we're good. And one of them said, and they asked him again, do you want a blanket? He said, no, 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 my heart is so warm mm. to see you guys here. Yeah, Jordana, what's the reaction been among Israelis? Because I'm thinking if Benjamin Netanyahu has rejected these offers from Hamas for a big, ambitious hostage deal that would come with a much longer ceasefire, Netanyahu said, forget it. No. Does this now become the only way to get hostages back? It's like really risky raids like this one. I don't think so. I, I don't think it's possible even for Israel to carry out raids like this on a weekly basis right. and realistically bring home 130 hostages. I mean, one of the advantages Hamas has is that they have spread these hostages out over the Gaza Strip, even though Israel believes they're somewhere in southern Gaza at this point. They are deep underground, some of them, in tunnels. The key element of the deals are on the table. There are gaps that remain. But I'm encouraged Israeli leaders to keep working to achieve the deal. The best way to bring out the hostages alive is with a deal. And in that sense, the operation, this amazing rescue mission, they may have put a new kind of pressure on Hamas to possibly reconsider their positions and come closer to Israel and cut a deal that will bring Gaza a ceasefire, more humanitarian aid, and in exchange the release of hostages. Because this operation has shown Hamas that they are vulnerable, that Israel has incredible intelligence and incredible operational capabilities. And if they can surprise Hamas in the center of Rafah, where their battalions are intact. They haven't even been fighting in this part mm. of the Gaza Strip with Israeli soldiers. Then what else can they do? Mm. That's interesting. And, and then we'll see uh, negotiations actually on a potential deal continue today in Cairo. Then I'm also wondering then what this means for Palestinians, especially those who are in Rafah right now. Palestinians on the ground when these strikes started happening said it almost seemed like Israel was invading the area. That's how severe and scary it was. Does a successful hostage extraction now means we could see more of this or even a ground invasion? Well, I think we could see more of these special operations, special ops. But I think in the coming weeks, we're going to see Israel put on the table a plan to evacuate more than a million Gazans who are in Rafah and around the border area. We cannot afford an Israeli attack on Rafah. It is certain to produce another humanitarian catastrophe. It's profoundly it clear now that Israel cannot launch a major military operation against Hamas in Rafah without getting most of those people out from the border area. It will be simply be too dangerous. Like just hu huge civilian catastrophe, you're saying? Yeah, I mean, we've already seen a tragic death toll in this war, right? Over 28,000 civilians now, more than 10,000 children. If Israel went into Rafah without 
protecting civilians and giving them safe passageway and creating other safe zones for them further north, you know, we could see thousands killed a day. That's how densely packed this area is right now. And Israel understands that. The question, though, Brad, is can you realistically get that many people to move now? Mm -hmm. In the beginning of the war, Israel waited several weeks, and um, they say about 800,000 Gazans fled south. But now we're more than three months into this ground operation. People are traumatized. They have had relatives who've been killed moving from one place to another. What if people don't want to evacuate? Then what? And and we have heard in just the hours after these attacks, horror stories from civilians on the ground who said these airstrikes alone just caused unimaginable death, injuries and destruction around Rafah, one of the last remaining places that they had hoped would be safe. Uh, Jordana Miller there in Jerusalem. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brad. It's Tuesday, which this year often means you got to have your radar up for an election somewhere. No presidential candidates are on the ballot today, but there is a really important special election because it's the election to replace this guy. Now I'm going to have to go and fight to defend myself. The reality is, is it's a witch hunt. That's right. George Santos was expelled from the House by his fellow members of Congress. Well, now New York voters have a choice that could really affect the balance on Capitol Hill. Let's go to ABC's political director, Rick Klein. Rick, why is the seat so important, first of all? It's one out of 400-something members of the House. Yeah, well, for starters, the House majority could barely be any tighter if you tried. Right now, Republicans can lose basically three votes on any uh, given measure. Otherwise, the Democrats essentially control the place. This would further shave that margin. And a lot of people are looking at districts like this and saying this is where the battle for the majority is going to be in the fall. Uh, Democrats very much hope that the House is in play and they look at districts like this and say this is a place where they need to win. They need to start winning back some of the territory they've lost, particularly in, in suburbs, particularly in bluer states like New York. Well, and Rick, you think anywhere near New York City means blue, right? You think Democrats win it. Santos must have been a fluke. The Republican there, Santos, was kicked out in disgrace. Is this really expected to be competitive? It's wild that it even is. First of all, a lot of Democrats are still shocked that they lost a district like this. They saw that in 2020, where Joe Biden was able to win in the district. The fact that the Democrats surrendered this territory was a huge factor in why they lost control of the House in, in 2022. George Santos obviously was a pretty big deal in the district, and there were a lot of headlines about him over the over the last year. But it's interesting, his name has barely come up on the ground on Long Island. People are talking about jobs and prices. They're also talking a lot about the migrant crisis, and they're talking a lot about crime. That's the stories that have been dominating. And you have these two candidates who are, because of the, the circumstances, they were hand-selected by their parties. I'm going to run on the things that I've accomplished for the people of my district in the past and the things that I want to do in the future to address the concerns that they have. Tom Swazi, the Democrat, a former lawmaker from that district, represented it for three terms in Congress before leaving in the last cycle. And the Republicans chose someone that's really had a central casting. Voting for Swazi means voting to secure the border, voting to create more safe environment. Mazi Pillup, Ethiopian-born Jew, served in the Israeli army, a mother of seven. She is just an incredible resume to put forward, particularly at a time where Democrats are having problems with Jewish voters related to the war in Israel. That's interesting, because if you're Democrats, I think you'd be like, 
why would you trust that party again? They gave you George Santos, but now you've got this person with a resume that might still appeal to a New York base regardless. Yeah, look, the Democrats have, have tried to not screw this up, and they're dumping so much money into the race. They're, they're bringing out everything they can. But Tom Suozzi, the Democrat, he's been talking about how this is just a tough time for the Democratic brand. It's a tough issue environment. And he has said that if the Democrats are not able to win this seat back, they are going to have some serious soul searching about what the prospects are for Joe Biden and what their prospects are for retaking the House this fall. In the meantime, Rick, Democrats and Republicans in Congress right now are dealing still with an empty seat. Has that been affecting how they go about votes in the near future? Yeah, it's wild. But just last week, the Republicans lost on the House floor in effort to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas. Last night was a setback, but democracy is messy. We live in a time of divided government. We have a razor-thin margin here. Now, with one of their members, who happens to be the House Majority Whip, uh, Steve Scalise, back in action, the Republicans actually may try to push to re-impeach or vote again on Mayorkas today because they're afraid that they may lose this seat. They may lose that functioning majority that may only exist for another day or two. Uh, If the Democrat wins in this seat, that that he gets sworn in, and, and it's just that much harder for Republicans to do anything. Wow, that's interesting. Like, let's let's do it while the math is good. And yet, again, these margins so tight that you can get embarrassed any any time if you're on Capitol Hill right now. All right. Rick Klein, our political director based in D.C., although I know you were born and bred there on Long Island. So, you know, all the players involved here. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you, Brad. Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, wait, so does this mean he's going to start doing dance videos now? Why Joe Biden learned to stop worrying and love TikTok. One last thing is next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And one last thing. One of TikTok's biggest stars is a 93-year-old grandma named Lillian. These are my rules at my funeral. Bertha is not invited. I absolutely adore Lillian. She's super cool, and you can imagine her inspiring more seniors to get on the app. We'll enter TikTok's newest user, who's a decade younger, I guess. Gamer commercials. Game. Gamer halftime show. Game. This is President Biden appearing on his first specially made TikTok over the weekend. It was put out by his campaign, and he even gets sassy with conspiracy theorists. Deviously plotting to rig the season so the Chiefs would make the Super Bowl, or the Chiefs just being a good football team? I'm getting trouble if I don't. However, dark Brandon memes aside, this foray into new social media raised serious questions. Because don't forget, the official stance of the federal government, the official stance of Biden's own White House, is that TikTok is a national security threat. TikTok is able to harvest your data all the time and provide it through ByteDance to the Chinese Communist Party. Now, when asked about this, the Biden campaign defended itself, not by saying, now we think your personal data is safe. It's fine. No, instead they said, this is where the young people are. What are you going to do? Just before this TikTok account was unveiled, ABC News and Ipsos put out a new poll in which 
86% of Americans think Biden is too old to serve another term. I'm not saying 86% of Republicans. This number includes Democrats, too. For what it's worth, most Americans also think Donald Trump is too old to serve. But for Biden, a key vulnerability for him is young voters. In most polls, they overwhelmingly prefer him to Trump, but they've also shown an alarming lack of enthusiasm for him. Especially lately, analysts say pro-Palestinian dispatches on TikTok make it even more likely for young people to sour on him. Which is why the Biden campaign says we gotta get the message out wherever we can. But the federal government itself, from White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre to National Security Spokesman John Kirby, say TikTok is still banned from government officials' devices. We have not changed our national security concerns uh, about the app. Biden's team says they'll keep putting out videos. I guess if it's good enough for Lillian, it's good enough for them. Stay alive, slay every day. Also, if you follow Lillian, you know she was like, I don't need a boyfriend. Well, girl got a boyfriend in the last several weeks. Anything's possible, except apparently the Niners beating Kansas City. It'll never happen, you guys. Many thanks to those of you who DM'd me on Instagram and socials to wish me condolences after the final whistle blew. Also, many thanks to Elizabeth Schulze for letting me watch my guys lose in peace. I'm Brad Milkey. See you tomorrow. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.